Hi, friends and colleagues. It's Nikki from Full Voice Music on today's podcast, episode 108. My special guest is Cynthia Vaughn. We are continuing our spotlight on the multi-teacher studio. Now, Cynthia has been running her studio, Magnolia Music, successfully for many years. And she is sharing how she got started and how she has grown her business into a multi location studio. A fantastic conversation. Now, before I welcome Cynthia onto the show, I want to let everyone know that today's episode is brought to you by the Private Music Teacher Planner and Agenda. If you are planning one incredible year in your teaching studio, I want you to check out the show notes where you will find a link to the planner. You can check out all the organizational pages and forms that will keep all of your information in one place. It is available now on Amazon worldwide. Please check it out. And now on to our show. Welcome to the Full Voice Podcast, Cynthia Vaughn. How are you today? I am doing fabulous. And I'm really excited to be here. Well, I am so thankful. You are such an inspiring woman. And I, I've i been following you and uh, your studios, Magnolia Music, for a long time. I see you on the socials. You are doing wonderful things. And I cannot wait to share uh, your your story with everybody. Now, as always... I love to give my guests the opportunity to introduce themselves and just let us know how your love of singing, you know, how you got started and and how it led to the multi-teacher studio, the successful multi-teacher studio owner of today. Well, the first thing I have to say is this is not anything that I ever planned or I, I didn't see this coming. Um, I have just always been a singer and I was one of those kids in high school that by my junior, senior year, um, even though I was good at other things, I was terrible at math, but I was good at at history and English and, and, and I had thought, uh, you know, maybe I'll be a school teacher, but by my junior year in high school, it was like music all the way. And um, I knew that I wanted to go to college and study voice and vocal performance. And, and so, I, so I did that, kind of followed the regular plan and um, began teaching um, while I was still an undergrad. My senior year of college, my voice teacher had, was ill for, was, was out of school for like a month. And they didn't want to bring in a substitute teacher because that costs money. Um, so they, uh, <laughs> they, they parceled the advanced students off to other voice faculty. And my teacher said, I have four freshman girls and I would like you to teach them wow. while I'm away. And I'm not even sure how legal that was, but, <laughs> but I went, I can't teach voice lessons. And he said, sure, you can. He said, you've got great piano skills. You, they're all sopranos. You know the rep. And he said, you, you can do this. And I had a blast. And of course, when the teacher got well and came back, the students were like, but we want to stay with Cynthia. And it's like, <laughs> no, you're, you're paying tuition to the university to his salary. So you have to go back with your teacher. But really, from that moment on, I think that next summer, I, I started a studio in my home and was probably 
teaching some lessons in the practice rooms, even though I probably shouldn't have been. But, uh, <laughs> <laughs> good here. but no, I just, I just discovered, you know, that, oh, I, I can do this. And I don't know all the things, but I know what I know. And these are things that I can share with uh, people who are on the same path. So, so uh, after college, I was doing a lot of performing and uh, teaching independently seemed the smart thing to do. In fact, I had turned down a couple of adjunct positions in my 20s wow. because I didn't want to be locked down to having to be in town and, um, you know, having to be at this university every Tuesday and Wednesday, sure. you know, at a time. So, so the independent studio worked really well for me, especially because um, my husband and I ended up moving a lot, especially before we started our family. And I did a presentation for a NAT summer workshop uh, a couple of summers ago. And the title that they gave me was Creating a Legacy on the Move. Mm. And I, it really, it, 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 it made me go back and sort of really just count all the places we'd lived wow. and the studios that started. And I had started nine different voice studios in different cities wow. across the country. And each time thinking that, okay, this is where we're going to stay. Sure. This is, we're going to be here long term. And then there would be a, a corporate transfer for my husband oh. or a, someone else, you know, would contact him about taking a job out of state. And my job was very portable. And right. so we went where the engineer's job <laughs> went, which took us all over the country. And, um, and it was really kind of amazing because each time I started a new studio, it was with the idea of it not being temporary. Because I mm -hmm. think if you start any kind of a business and you're thinking, well, I'll just dabble, I'll just give this a try, um, I, you, you're not going to invest in that business, in that endeavor, what it will take to make it successful Absolutely. if you're just dabbling. So each time I threw myself into this and I started a studio from scratch and did that for many years <clears throat> until we moved back to Colorado and, uh, and I had asked my husband to please let not move until we get these kids out, graduated from high school sure. and held true to that promise. So at that time we had a, like a fourth grader and sixth grader. Um, but I, um, was working on a doctorate and was um, invited to do some adjunct teaching at another university in the area. And that eventually turned into a full-time tenure track position at Colorado State University. Um, and I, I loved the university. I loved my students. Um, but it was, it was a really busy time. And any teacher out there who has been through burnout, just honest to goodness, burnout mm. will know what I'm talking about because I, at that point I was teaching full-time at a college um, and I had had to fold my independent studio right. once, once I became full-time. The last three years were full-time tenure track and I really missed that. I really mm. missed teaching a variety of students. I didn't know how much I would miss it. Mm -hmm. and, and like I said, College students were great, but I was teaching 18 to 22-year-olds. Right. Classical vocal music. And Schubert, I love you, but there's <laughs> a lot more music out there besides Schubert and Mozart. And um, 
So, so along and, and so, you know, teaching full time at the university and because we were a small uh, voice faculty of three at the time, um, I had to be there for Mm -hmm. every single junior, senior recital, every choir concert, every opera, both casts, every musical, (laughs) both casts. And there were some weeks that I was on campus seven days a week. And yet I was still, I had teenagers at home. Oh um, and I think my daughter had gone off to college, but my son was still at home. And, and I had a 45-minute commute. And I was doing, I think, reasonably well at all of the things I was supposed to be doing. Um, um, I, I, I'd have to talk to my son about how that parenting was that last year. But, <laughs> sure. Um, you know, um, but I, I was just jumping through all the hoops and doing all the things that, that I was supposed to be doing. And I just realized there was nothing left for me. Wow. So it just, it just came to a point where, um, uh, my husband had taken a job teaching job or a working job out, out of the state. So he was even commuting home to see me and that gets old really quick. Sure. So with, with the idea that I probably would be relocating to Washington sometime in the near future, it made sense for me to, to step away from that that job in academia. The timing was right, so they did. They were able to do uh, what's called a short search, and they were able to. They didn't lose their tenure line, which mm. would have made them very angry at me. Mm-hmm. Um, that they were able to hire a wonderful teacher who's still there. She has tenure, and I'm not there. Oh, and wow. so, so I just realized, I would say my whole adventures in academia made me realize that I really wanted and needed more independence and that I really have a very entrepreneurial spirit mm-hmm. and that's what I needed to feed and that's what I needed to follow. So in 2008, um, I had left the university and ju- it, timing is everything and I do believe in serendipity or whatever you want to call it but be <laughs> right time. and when it was only when I'd made the decision to leave academia and start my own studio and knowing that I had to find some sort of a physical space to teach because my husband and I by this time we had an empty nester condo <laughs> we had a two-bed condo in a high-rise building um which Absolutely, I would not have been able to teach music lessons out of my out of our condo, nor would I have wanted to. Um, but so I knew I would need a physical place to teach, mm-hmm. and um, that would mean renting a commercial space. And the the crazy, crazy um, synchronicity of this is that only after I had left, made the decision, left university teaching, did a space commercial space become available in our condo building. Oh, wow. See? So the lower level was was commercial space, and then the three upper level uh, levels were residences. And this commercial space, I didn't even know existed because it was the lower level. I thought it was just like basement storage space. I sure. didn't even know it was down. So it was unfinished. And I went to check the mail one day, and there was this handwritten note uh, tacked to, above the mailbox, it said, "Lower level commercial space available to current condo owners under market price, <gasps> not listed." And I went, "What?" And so I went down 
to the storage area and there was this door that I'd seen that says, alarm will sound, do not open. <laughs> I thought, oh, it's it's behind the, that door. And I opened the door and it was a lie. An alarm did not sound, fortunately. <laughs> but I opened that door and there was this 1,100 square foot unfinished commercial space. Wow. And I immediately ran upstairs and I, 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 I will say, I walked into that space and this is the closest I've ever had to an actual vision. It just flashed in my mind. I'm looking at bare concrete walls and a light bulb hanging down from the ceiling and, uh, you know, not even drywall on the walls. And I just had this movie in my mind of, this is my music studio. Oh, this wow. is my music studio. And I ran upstairs and I called my husband and he said, stop talking. And I said, blah, 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 blah. and he said, stop talking, call the number on the paper, find out how much money they need. We can give them for them to hold that space until I come. I'm in town on Friday. I went, okay. And I hung up and I called and the rest is kind of history. How, so how let's shout out to your husband. How wonderful that he was so supportive. (laughs) You could also picture him. I'm so excited. I'm talking uh, a mile a minute. And he's like, stop talking, <laughs> hang up, call the number. That's <laughs> and beautiful. it was a good thing I did because, um, a, a couple of days later, the, the building owner, uh, had contacted me and said, now, um, are, I just want to make sure, are you, how serious are you mm-hmm. about, um, purchasing the space? Because I had two other inquiries and I said, I'm very serious and you have my earnest money. Yes. Period. That was the end of that conversation. So, so that was the start of Magnolia Music Studio in Fort Collins, Colorado. And I knew that my initial plan was to teach three days a week. Mm -hmm. I'd been so burned out about, you know, teaching five days a week and, and working seven days a week. I just three days seemed like the magic number. And I knew that I'd have to hire other teachers to pay my overhead. And I started out really uh, not (laughs) knowing what I was getting myself into Mm -hmm. and thinking, well, I'll just hire a couple of other teachers at my level of teaching. And um, because I I thought I have to, you know, at that point, I hadn't thought about um, uh, hiring or contracting younger teachers. I didn't want to do the rent-a-room model that a lot of music stores and 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 some music studios use that model very successfully. I just felt like I wanted to um, select the people that I shared space with. Oh, I like that. That was very important to me um, to not to just to, yeah, to just kind of have some control over the energy of the space and, and being at a place in my life where, where I actually do get to choose the people I work with. Because a lot of times, if you're working for other people or other businesses, you don't get to say who your coworkers are. That's true. And yes. Sometimes you work with lovely people, and sometimes you work with jerks. So uh, <laughs> that is also help. true. <laughs> um, but uh, I realized very quickly that to to have teachers who were at my level of teaching, which we'll just give it a label and call it master teacher, mm-hmm. um, those teachers were already busy. Those teachers were probably already had their own home studios, and and if they were teaching at my studio 
a couple of days a week. It really was as a favor out of respect for me, but there was no incentive at all for them to recruit Mm. for my studio. If someone approached them about um, violin or flute lessons, which is what I started with, um, they're going to refer them to their own studio. Mm -hmm. Um, But that's where I started. And then um, that kind of went, uh, went its own way as after a year both of those teachers were gone and I had had come up with a much better uh, business model. And I'd also, guess what? I had taken business classes by oh. then and I'd do a, a successful studio seminar, which I thought, oh my gosh, I'm paying, you know, $1,500 to go to this two-day conference to about, you know, running a, a music or a dance studio and is this going to be worth it? And it was worth every penny. Mm. And I, my studio, and I just revamped and and um, and realized that I needed to to contract teachers who were not already. I don't want to say gainfully employed, but who were not um, who who did not have their own home studios. Yes, because that's built-in conflict of interest, and um, people who we're not planning on starting their own home studio because you don't want someone coming to your multi-teacher studio to just plant seeds and grow a studio and then go away and take all those students with them. And, and, and even though there is a non-compete clause in my teacher contracts, any attorney will tell you that, Oh, that probably, you know, you couldn't enforce that. And I understand that, but at least when I contracted teachers, having that non-compete clause in there, um, let them know what my expectation was. Absolutely. And if someone chose to not be a person of, in- of integrity, that means that I had misread them. And I will say to this day, I've been doing this now 11 years. Mm-hmm. I have never had a teacher leave and open their own studio in my same jurisdiction mm-hmm. and and you know take the, the studio's students with them most of the time almost every time a teacher has left the studio it was either for uh, personal reasons you know another pregnancy sure. um, or it was out of state out of town um, one teacher uh, said that she realized that she loved singing she loved performing but she hated teaching oh, so, wow. so I had said <laughs> Now, are you planning on opening your own studio? And she said, no, no, no. I really, I hate teaching. <laughs> I went, oh, okay, well, I'm glad you figured that out. And and then I hired a teacher who loved teaching. Um, yeah, so that's how my studio in, in Colorado started. And I will fast forward because now I have a studio in Washington. And I will say that one of my long-term, long-time teachers, one of the first teachers that that um, worked with me at Magnolia Music Studio, Old Town in Fort Collins, is now the owner and director of Magnolia Music Studio, um, Northern Colorado. Oh, wow. Um, so she, when I moved to Washington, we took it, we had about a two, at least a two-year process for me to turn that studio over to her. Wow. Where initially I was her, we had purchased that space. So the so the first year was her just being kind of an admin for me, and I let her see, you know, uh, the Wizard of Oz. I let her see what was behind, you know, behind the curtain. The mask. Yeah, because you have to know 
um, you have to know where the money's going. Mm-hmm. You have mm-hmm. to know, um, you know, who are the clients who are, are paying faithfully and who are the ones that you have to track down and, and how much do all these utilities cost? And, and yeah, I just really wanted her to see everything. And, and after doing that for a year, I said, okay, now this is your chance. Um, I am, I am going to let this studio go because I need to concentrate on what I'm building in Washington. So I will, I will close this studio or this can be yours. And she had talked to her, just Amy Woods, who I think both of us know uh, through Nats, through um, Mm -hmm. the Speakeasy Cooperative and she said, no, I, I want, I want to do this. She says, I'm in, I'm invested in this. And it's uh, wonderful. Oh, and that first year when, um, it was her studio, um, I said, I will be available. I said, I'm, I'm hands off, but if there's anything you need help with, and there were a few teary phone calls. And I do remember her mm. calling one time and saying, Cynthia, you made this look so easy <sighs> and it's so hard <laughs> and I said ah it is but you can do it you can do it and so she is she is successfully running that studio um, opted to keep the name and the branding mm-hmm. and in much the same way that sand dollar music with um, um, Kristen and Sarah they mm-hmm. were your guests on a previous podcast yes. they are operating two studios with the same website and the same branding and oh, I didn't I realize that, that she- doing that I went oh oh, that's what we do so Amy and I share the same website magnoliamusicstudio.com but when you go to the landing page you select um northern Colorado or Tri-Cities Washington oh and so then we have our own separate sections of the website but um her business is entirely her own and we have a very very nominal um I guess I have to call it a licensing agreement, but it's, yeah, it's even much more casual than that. But we share the, um, the, the, the branding, the logo, the website, and, um, and she's doing great and I'm doing great at you know, my end of the business. But uh, I mean, I never, ever imagined that I would have a studio with, now my studio in Washington, I'm one of 12 teachers. Wow. That's a large staff. And I still, I still consider it a boutique studio, a boutique business Mm. because, um, by definition, I looked this up last night, by definition, uh, a boutique business is a small, a relatively small business with a very select, um, product or service, usually at a premium price. Mm -hmm. And I went, Oh, Okay, that yeah, that that's what we're doing. Um, I know there are people that have large uh, mega studios, um, and um, oh, my friend uh, Sharon uh, Szymanski out in North Carolina um, has a wonderful school. It's like an entire building. Wow, I, she must have thirty or forty teachers and hundreds of students, and that would terrify me. That 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 just doesn't appeal to me. Um, but I. Yeah, I feel like 12 is the cap. And for the size of my studio, we have um, the three main teaching studios that I started with. And once I had I had uh, sold the commercial space that Amy was formerly teaching out of, I took that money and invested into 
um, the taking over the commercial space that the adjoining commercial space that shares an entry with my original studio in Washington. So I have two commercial spaces that share an entry. And so it's all Magnolia music studio river walk. But the, the second space that I took over, um, is a big open room. Mm -hmm. Um, so we can use it for classes, workshops, our recitals, but by day it's also a teaching studio. And I give the piano teachers priority for that space because, um, we have a beautiful, 510 high loon grand piano in that room wow yeah which Mm -hmm. the piano you know i can't tell you how thrilled the parents of seven-year-old piano students are when they see little Susie sitting at that beautiful (laughs) you know grand piano so um yeah so 12 teachers four teaching spaces but one of those spaces is um, 900 square feet. Wow. Um, so it's a multi, multi-purpose. But I did add sound panels. So acoustically, it's really nice. Oh, um, and just added some, um, also some performance lighting. So you mm. have the option for concerts, but not just having the stupid fluorescence. Yes. Um, because, because anytime you're, you're in a room with fluorescent lights, you just feel like you're in an office that's true. Yeah. And, uh, so I, I, this is a cool thing. And I'll mention this to um, anyone in a city that has a chamber of commerce. Mm. Um, I like big on joining the chamber of commerce because first of all, they will like you because you're different <laughs> because they're like, Oh, you do what? Right. But you start meeting business people in your area. And, and that's a good thing for, for networking. But because I'm a member of the Tri-City Regional Chamber of Commerce, I was able to apply for um, an incentive, a small business incentive grant. It cost me nothing. I just sent in an electronic um, application and I had to say exactly what I would use the money for. Mm-hmm. And I mean, dollar, I had to have it priced out. And um, it could be up to $1,000. I wow. think. And there being 20 of these thousand dollar incentive grants. So, I mean, it, people were maybe buying window coverings or a printer or something for their business. I just thought, what the heck? It'd be really nice to have some um, cool LED stage lighting in here. And so I contacted the, the person that sells those things. And he came into my studio and, and said, okay, you could, you could use four lights and then the, the, the remote control to, to uh, run them, and it'll be about $800. And okay. I said, good. So he sent me uh, essentially what was, looked like an invoice. So it was, mm-hmm. so it was, it was a, the exact amount. Um, and I think when it was without the tax, it was $730. And the Chamber of Commerce reimbursed me $730, and I have um, professional stage lighting in my performing space. I love that. Which is so cool. And now for the My Music Staff Minute. Hello, Full Voice Podcast listeners. Erin here with your My Music Staff Minute. And today we're talking about moving to the cloud. Managing your studio from a notebook might seem manageable at the size you are now, but it will get more difficult to keep track of as you grow. What happens if you spill your coffee on the notebook or lose it altogether? Your valuable studio information is gone without a backup. Maybe you've started to go digital and save your schedule and bookkeeping locally on a computer. But what happens if that computer dies? 
Keeping your information accessible and secure in the cloud is essential to running your business. So what is the cloud? To put it simply, cloud-based services store and deliver your information from a remote location. You can access your information anywhere, anytime, on any device connected to the internet. If your computer breaks or you lose your phone, your data is still safe. You're probably using cloud-based services already and don't even realize it, like Gmail or Facebook. Besides data protection, there are many benefits to using a cloud-based studio management system. Multiple users can access their data simultaneously and process your studio administration, which updates in real time. A teacher can be taking attendance and sending lesson notes, while an administrative assistant is creating invoices and managing payments. Teachers can schedule their lessons and immediately be notified of any scheduling conflicts, preventing a headache down the road. Cloud-based services, like my music staff, help cut down on the time you spend on administration, like scheduling and billing. Your calendar can communicate with the billing system, reducing human error on invoices. Your studio's information automatically updates across all devices and is always at your fingertips. Start your 30-day free trial of My Music Staff today at mymusicstaff.com. And stay tuned for next week's tips and tricks on the My Music Staff Minute, exclusively on the Full Voice Podcast. Uh, thank you for bringing that up. I, I think sometimes um, we forget that there are these wonderful grant programs out there, and sometimes they're a little daunting, the grant um, uh, well, procedures. Well, a lot of times with a lot of times grants are only available to nonprofits. That's and true. I definitely chose not to go the nonprofit route because I definitely do not need a board and people over me telling me how to run my business and firing me. <laughs> it's just like, right. I mean, there are, there are businesses, you know, if you run an opera company or a community chorus or there, there are, are definite reasons to do an, a nonprofit, mm-hmm. but this was not how I wanted to structure my uh, music studio. But most of the grants that I've run across are only available to nonprofits. So this, because it was through the chamber of commerce mm-hmm. and there might be, things like that available through your local small business association. Most cities also have a small business association. So when I was in Colorado, I um, was connected to the small business association, but in Washington, I joined the Chamber of Commerce. Mm, I love it. I love it. What a great, great tip. Thank you for sharing that. Now I have, I have a couple of personal questions and I hope you don't mind me asking this. Why did you name your studio Magnolia Music? What was the what was the motivation for that? Well, that's actually okay. That's an awesome question. So the first reason is that when I had gone to the Fancy Pants Music um, Studio seminar, one of the things they recommended is that when you name your artistic business, when you name your studio, make it easy for people to know where you are and what you do. Oh, okay. That's and, good advice. And so you'll see a lot of studios, they'll have their ta- their their street name or their area of town uh, um, in their name. And mm-hmm. then they will have like music studio or voice studio. And and he, this the uh, leader of this um, workshop also had recommended against using your, your personal name. And I know in the voice teacher world, um, I, I'm not sure that's the best advice I know a lot of voice teachers that are, you know, the, um, you know, 
Susan Smith voice studio and whatever. And I, and I don't think that's a bad thing for voice teachers. Mm -hmm. Um, but I think for a multi-teacher studio, um, I really, I mean, it's fine if people thought of this as, Oh, that's Cynthia's studio, but I wanted it to be something much bigger than me. Mm -hmm. Um, which is great because eventually I left that studio and it's not about, that one's not about me at all. Okay. So, so I went with that bit of advice and I thought, okay, I'm on Magnolia Street. Oh, okay. (laughs) And I teach music. And I went, and I love alliteration. Anybody (laughs) who knows me, the the more words I can string together that I'll start with the same letter, the happier I am. Okay. Love alliteration. So Magnolia Music Studio. And I said, that sounds really good. Magnolia Music Studio. Magnolia Music Studio. (laughs) You write it out on a piece of paper. Okay. It looks good. It sounds good. And then I remembered that um, flowers ha- have their have meaning. Yeah. You know, we you know, a, right. like a white rose means something, and a yellow rose means something. So I googled the uh, um, something about the meaning of flowers, mm-hmm. and I came up. Oh, talk about a rabbit hole! I went down this <laughs> this uh, rabbit hole of the Victorian language of flowers. Oh, and wow! There's a whole thing like women wear, would wear certain kinds of flowers and colors of flowers, and that would send messages. <laughs> you know, to men and, or yeah, it's the language of flowers. And I thought, okay, cool. Now I need to know what Magnolia means because this is the exact thought I had. I need to make sure Magnolia doesn't mean stinky weed of death. (laughs) Oh my gosh. Could you imagine? (laughs) Yes. Yes. And so I looked up Magnolia and I, uh, it just caught my breath. Okay, are you ready for this? Okay, I'm ready. It's not stinky Magnolia. weed of death. No, no, it is not okay, stinky okay. weed of death. Thank goodness. Or I'd have to call it something else. Um, so magnolia, mean, in the Victorian language of flowers, magnolia means dignity and perseverance. Oh, perfect. Isn't that cool? And in um, Asian medicine, Eastern medicine, magnolia... Root is used to raise your chi, to raise your energy level. And magnolia is also used in um, Eastern medicine for breathing. Oh, oh, it for could the be more perfect. And I went, okay, Magnolia Music Studio, it is. And I, that, that same evening, I went online and not to the um, Colorado, whatever, Secretary of State, the website where you um, can reserve business names. Yes. And then you have to jump through all these hoops before that name is yours. But once you have actually registered that name, no one else can take it. I love it. And, uh, and I think the very next thing I did was, was, was pin down that Magnolia Music Studio Facebook page. <laughs> and website domain. And website domain. I did all of that within one evening after I found out that Magnolia means dignity and perseverance. I love it. What a wonderful, and I'm so glad it doesn't mean stinky weed of death. No, that would be a terrible thing for a music student. <laughs> well, thank you for sharing that story. I That is such great advice. And, and again, the location thing is so important. Um, and I, would have, I wouldn't have thought about that when in, in branding. Yeah, and, now that I'm, and now that I'm actually thinking of the timeline, I actually had named the studio that before I went to that seminar. And then I went, Oh, Oh yeah, I did follow that rule. Oh, good. 
Good, good, good. Last thing I want to add to that is then when I moved to Washington State and and I knew I was just going to start another music studio and that I could take all of the experience that I had with the Colorado studio and and try not to do the same mistakes, but try to do the things that had worked. Mm-hmm. And so starting that second music studio was a breeze um, wow. because already knew what I was doing because I'd been running, you know, I'd started that studio in 2008, the studio in Washington, I opened in 2014. And then once Amy and I knew we were going to share the same branding umbrella, um, it was just a matter of coming up with a, um, you know, something to tack on to the end of it. So in uh, where I live in Tri-Cities, Washington, it's at the confluence of three rivers. It's the Columbia Valley, like wine country. And, and I am walking distance from the Columbia River. So, um, and there's like a, a just, you know, restaurants and hotels and, and, uh, it, hopefully it will be our, our creative district soon, Mm. um, with the state of Washington. But so I just thought, so my studio was Magnolia music studio hyphen river walk. And Amy kept the music studio, um, Northern Colorado or NOCO, which is the trendy little <laughs> name. I love um, and I, yeah, so, so I kept the name because once I'd realized that Magnolia was much more than a street, that it had all of these other meanings, there was absolutely no reason to, to move to Washington and come up with a new name and, and rebrand. Um, uh, there was no reason to do that. And also this is important. If I had started a brand new studio, I would have lost my beautiful Google ranking. Oh. You know, if you start. So the fact of someone who was looking, I mean, so, so I, I, mean, I, even when I started the studio in a new location, Google already liked Magnolia Music Studio. Mm. It was Google friendly, if that makes sense. Fantastic teacher tip. Uh, yeah. So if you move and you have a website that is already pretty, you know, pretty high up in those numbers, mm-hmm. you know, be cautious about changing, rebranding or, na- you know, renaming. Mm-hmm. Although sometimes you need to do that. Sometimes teachers need to just absolutely start over, start fresh, sure. um, you know, burn that one, start fresh. And then you come up with a, uh, a new name and just start your Google stuff all over. Great tip there. I would like to ask you a little bit about your staff um, and, and more actually about your hiring process when you are looking for the teachers that you want in your studio. What, what are some of the, what are some of the, not just qualifications, but what are you looking for in your, in your studio teachers? So what I am looking for in my studio teachers are I, I do want teachers that have music degrees. Mm-hmm. And, and um, uh, when, I, when I taught in Colorado, I, I would actually hire some of the, the, the recent Colorado State um, graduates or graduate students. And um, um, one of the ways that I can make my studio in Washington stand out is that you know, people know that this is, this, this is a professional music studio. Mm-hmm. Um, one reason you're, you're paying a bit of a, a premium price. But so I do want teachers that have um, um, music degrees and are active performers. Mm, teaching all, artists. Teach, they are all artist faculty. 
teaching artist. Brilliant. And that is one of the very best things for visibility and recruitment. Because if you go to the symphony, all of our faculty, instrumental faculty, are up there on that stage playing with the symphony. Wonderful. If you go to a Mid-Columbia Master Singers concert, um, I think all of our voice teachers you know, perform at one time or another, um, either as on, ensemble members. I sing with the chamber choir um, a, a couple concerts a year, and I've been a soloist there, been a soloist with the symphony. Um, and we have a, a, a voice teacher who's a singer-songwriter. So they're active performers um, with music degrees. Some of my best teachers are K-12 music teachers. Mm. because um, I like that because I also know they're already vetted um, when it comes to doing background checks. If you're already teaching in the schools, um, I, I, I honestly, with the ones that are already teaching in the schools, I skip that step because right. I know they are background checked, you know, like crazy, mm -hmm. as they should of course. Um, and um, people who, who are uh, school music teachers, um, I, I find my best bets are elementary and middle school teachers because they're done at three. The high school teachers never go home. That's right. The high school teachers, they're doing the, the musical and they've got festivals to prepare for. Um, but elementary and middle school teachers, um, if they want to teach independent, you know, in independent lessons. If they want to teach privately, most of the time they're not allowed to teach on school property uh, and they certainly don't want students coming to their home. You know, if you're teaching in a public school, you, you just are, you just do not want your middle school students coming to your house. Right. I mean, you don't even really want to run into your middle school students at the grocery store. <laughs> <laughs> Good point. Yeah. So, so for these teachers that want to teach you know, maybe four hours, six hours a week. Mm -hmm. And they don't want to, um, they just don't want to deal with the money end of it. They sure. don't want to necessarily deal with recruiting. They want to come in after school. They want to teach their lessons and go home. Mm -hmm. It's ideal for those teachers. So I'd say a third of my faculty are, are um, elementary or middle school music teachers. Um, and I recently just added a tier of teachers. Now that I, when I added the new space, I actually added three, three new teachers. And, um, initially all of my teacher teachers were either at the master teacher level, which is I'm, I'm at the master teacher level. I have two other teachers who I've given that des designation and, um, it just means it just means we've been doing this for a long time. Sure. So a master teacher has um, uh, at least a master's degree mm -hmm. and has been teaching for at least fifteen years. And I would say the three master teachers at my studio now have been teaching more than twenty years. I've been teaching forty years. Wow. And the exception to that is I have a wonderful new clarinet teacher who has her doctorate in clarinet performance and records and performs at summer festivals all over the world. And I said, uh, she might be 30. And it's like, uh, yeah, you're a master teacher, you know, <laughs> doctor. So, um, but then the, the rest of the instructors, um, I just, if you go to the website, there's master teachers, there's instructor or artist faculty instructor, which is, doesn't mean they aren't as good as the master teachers. It mm -hmm. just means they haven't been doing it as, mm -hmm. and they haven't, they don't have those advanced degrees. Then recently, 
I was uh, approached by a very enthusiastic, very young piano teacher who had completed her associate's degree and had come rather than stay and finish a four year degree. Um, I think, she, you know, for different reasons, I think she was a bit homesick and, you know, just came back to her hometown and wanted to teach piano lessons, but, um, um, was not living, you know, a lot of times younger, oh, younger teachers are also good for my multi-teacher studio because a lot of times they're living in apartments with roommates. That's right. And some of them, um, you know, if they just move back to the area, might even be living with their parents for a while. They don't have a place to teach. Mm-hmm. Um, and so they're looking for a place to teach. Um, I had one uh, young woman teacher who I, I asked her, I said, now, I'm curious why you are not interested in starting your own, you know, studio teaching out of your home. And she said for her, it was, uh, it was privacy and security. Uh And she said, as a young man, a single woman living on her own, there was no way she wanted strangers coming to her house. So she be a public place where that just wasn't even going to be an issue. And also where there would be some vetting of the students. So in independent studios, I know a lot of teachers do what's called an initial fit test, mm-hmm. you know, where they have meet with a student for a paid lesson and they kind of ascertain whether the student is going to be right for that teacher. Mm-hmm. Now, in my case, um, I actually do that vetting process, you know, because all the registrations come to me, I'll ask some follow-up questions. And it's not a matter of, is this is there just one teacher, you know, they're not just trying to fit with one teacher. So someone, so as someone reaches out and registers for say piano lessons, I have a really good idea of which teacher to send them to. I know which teacher works great with adult students, really doesn't want to teach kids. Mm-hmm. Um, where a couple of other piano teachers and they, they're, um, and also one of them teaches full voice music. Hey. She teaches Young voice and young piano students, and and you know a younger student, I will send that way. Mm. Um, but so anyway, this this teacher with an associate degree, and and lots of enthusiasm up, approached me um, about teaching at my studio, and and she she sent me a lovely cover letter, and it, she sent me an email, and she attached you know a cover letter and a resume, and I thought wow, she is doing this right. I should honor this. I should at least talk to her. Mm -hmm. And so I thought about it and I replied to her and I said, I said, I usually only, only contract teachers who have completed a bachelor of music degree, but I'm very impressed with your cover letter and your resume. And I would like to meet with you. And I said, I, I, I have an idea. So, so I met with her and she was just charming and very, very enthusiastic about teaching. Her experience had been teaching young piano students. And that, and I thought, oh, there's, that's a, that's a niche Mm -hmm. because it'd be really valuable, you know, with the, because we had a waiting list for piano students. And, and I will say, if you have a multi-studio teacher or studio, voice and piano can be your bread and butter. Oh, for sure. You know, we have eight or ten trumpet students. We've got actually the cello. We've got a lot of cello and cello and violin as well. But voice and piano. If you were just starting out with two instruments and you had the space to do that, um, a lot of demand for piano and voice. 
And so what I came up with is a different category, which I call associate instructor. So I pay her less, you know, her hourly rate. The the way my studio works is that the registration, even though they're contractors, um, within my state, I, I can still, as long as I, you know, check all the boxes. I can't tell independent contractors who to teach. Um, uh, so I can't say you have to teach this particular student, right. but they have the option of accepting that student. I can't tell them how or what to teach. All of the teachers choose their own curriculum, mm-hmm. their own methods. Mm-hmm. Although I will say I steer the voice teachers of young students in the right direction because I purchased the teacher packet for them. The full <laughs> each, every time. Yeah. So, and then it's like, well, well done, you don't Cynthia. have to use this method, but here's this, this money I just spent and bought you this fabulous <laughs> thing. And guess what? Lo and behold, they end up teaching full voice. Um, yeah. But they don't have to. Um, and I also can't tell them um, when to teach. So what that means is as independent contractors, they tell me when they're available and we see how that matches up with what's available at the studio. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and, um, and then the same thing with students, they get to, they really do get to pick and choose. Although the better I do my job of vetting those registrations, the, the fewer times I get a reply that, oh, I don't think this would be a good student for me. Like if I have a voice teacher who insists that they, that she only wants to work with students, um, age 14 and older, I'm not going to send her a registration to teach a seven-year-old because mm-hmm. I have another teacher I will send that registration to. So with this young lady, uh, I realized, oh, this could be a very good thing. And so I offered her an, a, to be an associate instructor. I, I pay her less, but the, the tuition is also less. Mm. So that can also be very appealing to young piano students. And um, I recently just added... An, an associate instructor for voice and very similar background. Although this particular teacher's she's, she's a bit older in her twenties, but she did uh, an associate degree at the local community college and did a year um, uh, across state at another university with the intent of, of, you know, completing a, a bachelor of music education. And then, you know, life happens. Yeah. So she's back in her hometown and she had studied voice with me to prepare her for that college audition. Wow. And um, once I found out she was back in town, um, we reconnected. And um, first I offered her uh, just an internship mm-hmm. to kind of help me with some things in the studio. And then I broached the subject of, of what do you want to do with your music? And, and the minute that she said, she says, well, I really want to teach. So I'm going to try to finish, do some kind of an online education degree to finish my degree. But I really would like to teach music. And I said, yeah, let's talk about that. Nice. So starting January, I will have an associate instructor for voice. Um, and and I will be, in this case, because we have that shared history, I will be mentoring her as well. But I wouldn't necessarily expect a, a, a teacher I contract. I am not necessarily going to be micromanaging them or mm-hmm. mentoring them unless they ask. I'm yeah. always available. Um, I've, I've helped teachers with, if they've had like students were a challenge, a challenge or, um, you know, just sometimes personalities are difficult and sometimes sure. I can help a teacher 
negotiate that. And I will say there have been a couple of situations where I have just extracted a student from a from a teacher because you know if a teacher is losing sleep the night before a full day of lessons wow. because of that one mm-hmm. student, like no, we won't. I, I'll handle that. <laughs> you know? I love. And- I love how you are creating not only a safe space for students, but really a safe space for your teachers. I really do. And um, I think something that I hear a lot in, um, in online forums or even the Speakeasy Cooperative, I hear a lot about um, determining who your ideal client is. Mm-hmm. And I, my approach is actually to start with ideal teachers. Mm. As to me, an ideal teacher is much more valuable than an ideal student. Students come and go, students graduate, students move. Um, if, I, if I find an ideal teacher, like Amy Woods um, was in my Colorado studio, um, the longer I can keep that teacher teaching at my studio, the better it is. Mm-hmm. Because it's when I do have a teacher who moves away or or um, goes in, I've had I had a teacher who took a full time job doing some sort of uh, uh, computer tech work, right. uh, work remotely from her home, and was being paid mega dollars. <laughs> I was like, well, you go do that. But when I, you know, if I when I have um, a rare opening for a teacher, um, it's still hard to fill because because sure. I'm picky. I well, Cynthia, I. I just, I'm in awe of your story and your journey and all of the courageous things you have endured. And um, I I know that there are so many teachers out there, whether they're already running a multi-teacher studio, or I know there's so many teachers that are at the point where they want to grow their business and they're thinking that this may might be something for them. I I know that this conversation is going to inspire them and certainly point them in the in the right direction. Um, or one one possible right direction. One possible direction. I love that. Yes, thank you. Yes, one. But I, I also love how. Um, I mean, I love how the conversation is, you know, we're talking about the boutique studio and really serving our clients well. And, and in your case, you're you're finding the right teachers and you're also giving them a safe space and nurturing them if they want it. I, if I, they want. If they want, no pressure. Um, now, before I let you go, I cannot let you go before you give us warm-up of the week. Now, the warm-up of the week. What is one of the vocal warm-ups that you love to use with your students? One of my favorite warm-ups, and it's a good vocal warm-up, but it's also, it's a good confidence builder. Um, This exercise works really well for quiet singers Mm. or or singers, um, like young women singers who, who... who just don't know that they can make noise. (laughs) They don't know that they have a voice that deserves to be heard. And some of these, like they're usually sopranos with kind of quiet, breathy voices. And they don't, and they don't know that they have 
a voice. <laughs> and so I just call this exercise, this is my voice. And it's very simple. You start, you take those four words and you start out speaking them with four different word emphasis. So it's like this. This is my voice. This is my voice. This is my voice. This is my voice. Ooh. Then, isn't it powerful? It is. I then love you, this. Then you pick a note in speech register mm-hmm. because a lot of, a lot of, shy singers have not connected their speech to their voice. Sometimes, sometimes their speaking voice is just as quiet as their singing voice, but, but most of the time their, their singing voice is, is, um, quieter than their speaking voice. So the next thing is in speak speech register, which is usually around middle C, but I'll just see what pops out of my mouth. And it's like, this is my voice. This is my voice. This is my voice. I love it. This is my voice. I love it. I love it. it. Simple but powerful. Yeah. It's really powerful. Now, and it's what I've used that exercise with some students, and for the very first time, they've felt resonance. Mm. And and it's. we all know that distraction is one of the best teaching tools (laughs) and this exercise works because they're so distracted thinking about what they're saying. Because how many times we work with singers who get so caught up in the notes, notes and Mm -hmm. the sound that they don't pay attention to, uh, hello, what does this song mean? What, what are the words? So they're connected with, with what they're saying and they're distracted by that. And all of a sudden they realize, Oh, I just made a sound. Yes. Yes. Distraction is one of my many super tools in my teaching studio. Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh Cynthia, thank you. That is powerful. And I'm, I'm, as I always tell my guests, I steal all of the great warm ups and bring them into my so studio. So, so I get to hear you do that one? Oh, oh, gosh, you put me on the spot. Okay. I know I did. <clears throat> it's empowering. <laughs> okay. So, I'm going to speak it first. Sure. Okay. This is my voice. This is my voice. This is my voice. Okay, here's the big one. This is my voice. How'd I do? That was awesome. You know, it's interesting, too, because when I was doing it, I was... You're right, because I'm thinking, which word, which word am I emphasizing now? Yeah. Oh, I love it. I love it. Thank Your kiddos you. are going to love that, too. I yeah. love that. And, you know, I can think of, I can think of a, a few of my um, advocational adults that uh, could yeah. really use that exercise. Thank you. Mm-hmm. Oh, my goodness. Now, Cynthia, uh, I am going to put um, links to your wonderful website uh, on our podcast show notes and on the podcast page. And... I have to have you back in in the new year um, because you're just such a wealth of knowledge. We only just touched on one of the expertise that you have. So will you promise to return my email if I reach out again? <laughs> oh, absolutely. <laughs> Wonderful. And I, I just, again, I want to thank you for your inspiration and your wisdom and your kindness. You are... 
such an industry leader for us. You, you're an active member of Nats. You are just, there's just so many things that you're doing. And, and I appreciate uh, all, everything that you've done for us in, in our organization. And of course, sharing your story today. So we will have you back. I know that um, one of the things that you're really passionate about is the advocational singing student. Yes. Yeah. Oh my gosh. I would love to talk about my adult um, avocational or recreational yes. adult students. They, the more and more, more and more, they are just my heart and passion. And I think that's because, you know, as I'm getting older and I, I have a heart for, you know, my generation and the next generation. And I just see so many people that, you know, they, they have the time in their life now and either singing is something that they've always down their entire lives or it's something they always wanted to do yes and ah yeah love it all right well we will make a date for that because i would love for you to share those stories and 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 how you work with those uh those singers i am wishing you uh an amazing new year and all the best in in all of your endeavors and i look forward to our next conversation on the podcast it's going to be amazing. And this was so much fun. Oh, I'm so I glad. Loved it. Yep. <laughs> loved it. Awesome. Thank you so much. A very special thank you to Cynthia for that wonderful conversation on our podcast today. We are going to continue our focus on the multi teacher studio in the new year. However, on our podcast next week is my dear friend and business maven and voice teacher, of course, Michelle Marquart DeVoe. Michelle and I have a wonderful podcast planned all about the things you need to be thinking about and looking at as you start a new year or a new quarter in your business. A great conversation. Do not miss it. Now, before I go, I want to thank you, the podcast listener, for choosing this podcast and making it part of your professional development. It has been an incredible year. We've had so many wonderful guests, and I cannot thank you enough for finding the time in your schedule to make the Full Voice podcast part of your day. As always, I am wishing you inspired teaching a happy, happy new year, and happy singing. Made by Canoe Music. CanoeMusic.ca Okay, wait, let me do, let me, wait, do, let me do one thing before you hit record. Mm-hmm. Oh, oh no! You probably. Oh wait! You said you're in sweatpants. But all I see. Oh no! No, that's good. It's good. You can't see that. You can't see the yoga pants underneath. Yes, I I don't even know if you have pants on. I, I, you know. (laughs) (laughs) I'm gonna hope so. Okay. I try. Got it. Oh, (laughs) wonderful! I love that.